Hello, family. I hope you are ready. It is time. It is time once again. Thank you so much for joining me on tonight, 6 p.m. Sunday night service. I believe we have a word for you. I want to get to work. Go ahead and get a, a screenshot. Tag us. Let us know where you are in the world. We have people from Japan. We have people from the Netherlands. We have people from Canada. We have people from London. We have people from Brazil. We have people from Brussels. All over the world. I am so thankful that you are joining me on tonight. So if you would, could you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17 um, this is a familiar passage of scripture, uh, depending on where you are in your Christian journey. But this is just going to be the backdrop for tonight's preaching presentation. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to launch our reading at verse 36. It says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. It's like, you go ahead and handle it. I ain't going to mess with this giant. You good. You go ahead. Um, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. That's important. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Our clause of concern, our verse of importance takes residence in verses 38 and 39. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a brown's bronze helmet on his head David fastened the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them father we love you we honor you and we are so thankful for the opportunity to come together, crack open your text, and dissect your word. As usual, oh God, my typical request, I'm asking that you anoint my lips to be the PA system of heaven, the soundtrack of heaven. Your individuals didn't come on here tonight to hear a plagiarized Google copy type word. We need to hear a word from you. So would you grant us that desire? We are in high expectation of what you're going to do. Do it. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Man, are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Everybody put in the room. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All caps. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. First, I would like to give you this disclaimer. I have a little issue with the state of the church. That there's this issue that's troubling me with the church, especially in Western Hemisphere Christianity. And that is the limited amount of dialogue and discussion and biblical education over the demonic and spiritually induced turmoil. It's troubling to me because if we were to actually crack open the Bible and look at the Gospels, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even if we consider Acts, if we study the life of Jesus, we're going to see all throughout Jesus' life, all throughout his ministry tenure, that Jesus kept on having encounters with the demonic. He kept on having encounters with demons. Jesus indeed had a deliverance ministry. Please hear me. Jesus indeed had a deliverance ministry that was followed by miracles, that was followed by wonders, that was followed by healings, and that was followed by the power of God because he is God. And then Jesus turned around and has the audacity to tell me and to tell you greater works, greater works than these shall you do. And I just begin to wonder why are we not having these discussions about the demonic. Jesus' statements, the two things that stand out the most to me about Jesus' life is he kept on talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like. 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 And he kept on dealing with devils. So regardless if you have strengthened your warfare muscle or not, I want you to know that you're in a war. Regardless if you have strengthened your muscles or not, you are in a war. And far be it from us if we become typical, mundane, average Christians. My job and my assignment as a preacher is to make you aware of your God. My job and my assignment and, of course, to the empowering of the Holy Spirit is to make you aware of your God and then try to convince you and persuade you to live life for him, surrender to him, exalt him, magnify his name, trust in him, obey him, honor him, serve him, tell other people about him, be his billboard in the earth. And I pray that some way and somehow that will cause for this beckoning in your soul to be activated to where you begin to ask yourself why am I here why did God cosmically create me what is my purpose what is my assignment what is it that God wants me to do because he's a God of intentionality nothing is on accident my personality is on purpose I'm in this season on purpose I'm in this atmosphere on purpose you're watching this message on purpose none of it is for an accident and also my job is to create awareness and to remind you that you have an enemy Preach Holy Spirit, you have an enemy that walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there is this weapon. There is this weapon that has been crafted by hell. There is this weapon that has been crafted by the enemy in the blacksmith shop of his weaponry. And it's often overlooked, underpreached, and not acknowledged because we spend so much time discussing the enemy's weapons of fear, of doubt, manipulation, deceit, murder, incest, rage. We spend so much time talking about those weapons. But I would like to talk about and I would like to introduce you to an undetected weapon. A concealed weapon of the enemy that has robbed homes of joy, that has robbed churches of creativity and uniqueness, that has stopped side hustles from starting, that has incarcerated us in the prison of procrastination. I would like to speak to you about the weapon of comparison. Yeah. <laughs> the weapon of comparison. And if I could broaden your horizon just for a few moments... I want you to consider that maybe it's not just comparison, but it's derived from the spirit of covetousness. 
is derived from the spirit of covetousness. Now, what does it mean to covet? It's when I want what you have. I want what you have, and then I'll begin to feel some type of way because I don't have what you have. Now, you got to understand this about demons. You got to understand this about spirits. Please hear me. You got to understand this about spirits. Spirits run in packs. They don't like being solo. Solo. They're not idle. They like having family members. They have a gang mentality. They like running in packs. Therefore, if we're talking about the spirit of covetousness, his siblings are the spirit of envy and also the spirit of idolatry. Yeah. That's my kinfolk. That's my brother and that's my sister. Because if I begin to covet, if I begin to want what somebody has, then that's going to lead me to being envious over what they have. And you know when you're envious, then now you can get jealous. And you know jealous has a brother called hatred and hatred has a sister called murder. And now you're trying to do things to murder them. And if I can't murder you physically, this is what I understood about people. If I cannot control you, I will try to control how people see you. So I'll try to murder your character. I'll try to murder your reputation. And you don't even recognize when you compare yourself amongst each other. And I want this and they shouldn't have this. It could lead into idolatry because if I had a platform like them, if I had money like them, if I had influence like them, if I had a car like them, if I had a house like them, if I had all the positions as them, I would begin to worship it. Now, what is idolatry? It's when you put anything before God. They're connected. There's this, this weapon of comparison. Now, please hear me. Comparison is a needed conversation because it's causing so many of us to perfect our smiles but bury our pain. Okay, we're coming for your life on the night. Guard your neck. We're coming for your neck. Comparison has caused us to perfect our smiles but yet bury our pain. So I'll act happy, but I'm really miserable. I'll act happy, and I'll have knockoff smiles so that you can think I'm winning, but at night I'm crying because I'm really losing. My peace, my self-esteem, my perspective, my faith, but I'll act happy. I'll act happy and say stuff like, girl, I'm off the market. But truthfully, you're miserable because you're with somebody who's still shopping. I'll hit you on the way home. It's a trap. The trap of comparison. Comparison robs us of discernment. Comparison robs us of discernment and has us to where we have the inability to perceive our season. Did y'all hear what I just said? Comparison robs your discernment. And it makes it to where you and I have the inability to perceive our season. It's likened unto two women being pregnant. You're nine weeks pregnant and she's nine months pregnant, but you're trying to give birth because she's in labor. Can't perceive your season. I want them to rejoice like they're rejoicing for her. I want them to rejoice like that over me. The way that they're celebrating her, I want them to celebrate me like that. But it's robbing you of discernment because there's still something that God is knitting on the inside of your womb. You're not in your third trimester. You're in your first trimester. She's in her third trimester. And so here you are risking giving birth to a preemie because you can't discern. It's not your season. Maturity is recognizing we're both pregnant. 
and I can rejoice because you are giving birth and the season is going to happen where I give birth to. And I firmly believe the way you applaud somebody else's season is tied to the season that's coming your way. Can you applaud when somebody else wins? Can you applaud when somebody else gets the promotion? Are you so caught up and so envious and so jealous that you can't celebrate with them because comparison robs you of the ability to perceive your season. It's a trap, the trap of comparison. Comparison makes it to where we keep giving do-overs to people who treat us like leftovers. <laughs> your neck, your neck, I'm coming for it. Comparison has it to where we keep giving do-overs, do-overs to people who treat us like leftovers because I want us to look like so-and-so. It's a trap, the trap of comparison. Comparison robs you of the ability to perceive your oil. It robs you of the ability to perceive your oil. What is oil? Oil is symbolic of your anointing. This is your divine superpower. You have a supernatural power in an area. It could be in worship. You are anointed and you have oil to sing songs. You are anointed to preach. You're anointed businessman. You have a superpower in this area. But comparison robs you of the ability to perceive your oil. You got to understand this. There are levels to anointing. There are levels to oil. Biblically, King Saul got anointed with a flask of oil. King David got anointed with a ram horn of oil. Jesus got anointed with an alabaster box of oil. These are levels of anointing. And if we don't understand our oil, we'll end up trying to get in a room that we don't have oil for. I see this so vividly with, with Moses and Pharaoh. God told Moses and the Israelites to go through on dry ground. Pharaoh saw it and he tried to do the same thing and ended up drowning. Why? Because this is what happens when you try to follow a word God didn't give you. Yeah. I got to have oil for this. Can you recognize your level of oil? I need oil as on me as a father. I want to break stuff off. And if there's anything else that we don't need in our world, we don't need any more oilless preachers with a national voice. I need you to have an oil on your word. Break yokes every time I listen to you, man of God. Break something every time I listen to you, woman of God. I need to have oil on my worship, not just entertainment that gives me goosebumps, but something that causes me to fall down to my knees in reverence. I need the anointing. It's a trap, the trap of comparison. Comparison is the mother of infertility. God, this is so good. It's the mother of infertility. It keeps you from giving birth. Comparison keeps you from giving birth to your gifts. See, there's a book you're supposed to give birth to. There's a ministry you're supposed to give birth to. There's a YouTube channel you're supposed to give birth to. There's a live you're supposed to give birth to. There's a blog you're supposed to give birth to. There's a vlog you're supposed to give birth to. There's a community, a small group you're supposed to give birth to. But the reason you can't do it is because doubt keeps making you miscarry. Doubt keeps making you miscarry. And you know why you're doubting? Because you're so focused on everybody else. 
You're looking at their platform. You're looking at how many views they have. You're looking at what they're doing. And can I just be real? People don't post their failures. God. I don't know how many times I got to say this. People don't post their inadequacies. People don't post their insecurities. People don't post their screw-ups. And so could it be they're not better than you? We said this before. We just got to say it again. Could it be they're not better than you? They're just a better editor than you. They're just a better editor than you. They know how to edit out that stretch mark of insecurity. Yeah, they, they know how to edit out that freckle of doubt. They know how to edit out that mole of uncertainty. And so here you are doubting yourself and you're trying to present the real thing, but you're comparing it to a Photoshop user. Don't y'all get me started up in here. You're comparing God's handiwork. Stop letting a filtered, cropped, fake picture of what somebody posts make you start to feel insecure about yourself. It's the trap. The trap of comparison. Y'all going to make me clap my hands and act ratchet. There's something that God wants you to do. Who cares what they're doing? They could not be presenting the real thing. You don't know what's behind that curtain. You don't know what's behind the retina display. And here you are feeling inadequate. And they could be giving you false advertisement. It's a trap. Somebody say comparison. Comparison is the spawning pool of insecurities. This is where your insecurities spawn. This is where they're birthed. This is where they grow in the waters of comparison. Comparison is the pool of insecurities. Let me give you another perspective. Could you be insecure because you feel as though you being out of dress code is a problem? Gosh, I hope that just helps somebody. <laughs> the reason you feel insecure it's because you're out of dress code and you view that as a problem. So what you're not like everybody else? You're out of dress code on, on purpose. You cannot be a part of the pollution and then be the solution at the same time. So what that you're out of dress code and they're having sex with all of their boyfriends and all of their girlfriends? You're called to be different. You're out of dress code. You cannot be God's example and the devil's sample at the same time. You're out of dress code on purpose. Who cares that he left because you wouldn't put out? Let me add this too because we're biased. Who cares that she left because you're trying to present your body to be a temple? I'm getting on my soapbox. Why does everybody think counterfeits and fake individuals and those who don't want to wait until they get married are just men? Women do it too. There's some trifling sisters too. There's some sisters that don't care that this is your husband too. There's some sisters that don't care. They have this like destiny's child type of mindset. Y'all ever met women like that? Can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? No. No, I can't. I am not your husband. Look at your ring finger. Is it naked? Do you have my last name? Are you getting whistles, but do you have my initials? No, you don't. I'm not paying nothing. That is a husband benefit. I want y'all know about this one. Ladies, leave your man at home. The club is full of ballers and their pockets full of grown. See what I'm saying? Ladies think like this too. <laughs> it's a trap. The trap of comparison. You're out of dress code on purpose. You're out of dress code with your family on purpose. You're out of dress code with your generation on purpose. Because God has called you to be light, not shade. God has called you to be salt, not sugar. But I do know where you match, though. 
I do know where you match. You do match in the kingdom of heaven. You do match as a kingdom ambassador. You do match as a kingdom trendsetter. I may not match with culture. I may not match with trends. I may not match with what's popular, but I never was made to. And could you be feeling insecure because God has you out of dress code on purpose? I don't want you to be in uniform with your peers. I'm making you my billboard. I'm making you my example. I'm making you my blueprint. You are out of dress code, and it's on purpose. It's a trap, the trap of comparison. Let's look what the Word of God says about this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Now I want us to read this, this exact same verse in the Message Bible. Okay, let's check it out. It says, make careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Whoa. Like you're so busy looking at everybody else that you're not looking at all the gifts God has put on the inside of you. So I just felt led by the Spirit. Let's speak around this thought from this subject, the trap of comparison. The trap of comparison. Can I get everybody to do me a favor? Drop in the room this comment, it's a trap. And I want you to use Ebonics, I-S-S-A. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a. <laughs> it's a trap. The trap of comparison. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, unknowingly, we already kind of discovered how this trap of comparison formulated. It all started way back in Genesis when God gave Adam an assignment. He brought all the animals to Adam and he said, I want you to name all of the animals. And whatever name that Adam gave them, whatever he called them, that was their identity. Adam was handing out identity. Please hear me. This is a kingdom agenda. What do men do? Men hand out identity. What do fathers do? Fathers hand out identity. So no wonder our society looks the way it does. No wonder the prisons look the way they do. No wonder the community looks the way it does. It is because the identity giver is an identity crisis. Or sometimes the identity giver is not even there. And when the identity giver is an identity crisis or the identity giver is not even there, it automatically positions the family by default to engage in identity theft. I'm trying to take on other stuff. I'm trying to take on other names because daddy, you were supposed to be my mirror, but instead you were my open window. You were supposed to be my mirror and hand me my identity, but instead you were an open window causing for me to feel the effects of the storm by the misguided. And I wasn't supposed to get wet by this. I wasn't supposed to get affected by this, but because you weren't there. I got wet by stuff that I never was supposed to get wet by. And this is why we need the Heavenly Father to step in and to help us because I need to have my identity. And my identity is in Christ. When we look at our foundational text, 
we see David. David, his father told him, I want you to go down and give your brothers some pizza, okay? I want you to give your brothers some bread and some cheese. So David's walking down there, minding his business. He probably had his harp, you know, because he drops bars. He's going down there, minding his business. And then David hears this dude talking noise. Here is this nine-foot giant bumping his gums. Here is this giant that has stuff to say, and he's like, okay, hold on real quick. Um, y'all don't hear what this dude is saying? Y'all don't hear all this noise this dude is talking? Ain't nobody ready to knock if he buck? Y'all going to let him talk about the Lord's army like this? Y'all going to let him talk noise like this? I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to tolerate it. If he want a piece, he can get him some. I'm ready to take this dude out. So they're like, okay, uh, you big and bad. Um, let, let, let's go tell uh, King Saul what you're doing. So David rose up to King Saul, and he's like, look, man, I'm going to handle your lightweight for you. <laughs> I'm going to handle this fight for you. And I want you to look at what happens in verse 38. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Hmm. David is about to fight, but Saul begins to dress David in his own tunic. Listen, you have to be careful with who you are allowing to put stuff on you. Y'all just missed that. <laughs> Y'all just missed that. He's about to fight, but Saul says, if you're going to fight, wear this. I need you to be careful with who you are allowing to put stuff on you because wardrobes come with war zones. Ah, oh, this is so good. This is so good. Wardrobes come with war, with war zones. You know why your lust is raging the way it is? Because you had an ex that put on his wardrobe, or you had an ex that put on her wardrobe on you, and now your hormones are in a war zone because you allow somebody else to put their wardrobe on you. You know why your lust is raging? Because somebody in eighth grade, somebody in seventh grade, somebody in sixth grade put their wardrobe on you, and that wardrobe is causing a war zone. You know why you're so bitter? And you can't smile. Have y'all ever seen mean Christians? <laughs> I'm talking about the Christians that just walk around like this. Something just, they just have this face like something stinks nonstop. Like, bro, sis, is the joy of the Lord your strength? Are you happy that you're going to heaven? <laughs> Do you have any type of joy in your life? Complain about everything. You know, you know why you're probably so bitter? Could it be because... Your mother put her wardrobe on you. She was bitter because her mother put her wardrobe on her. She was bitter because your father that was not there put something on her. And now when wounds don't get transformed, they get transferred. Now she's putting that wardrobe on you. And now your wardrobe is calling a war zone. God, this is so good. You know why you're so angry? Because your childhood put a wardrobe on you. And now, due to that wardrobe that you are forced to wear, I'm talking about you're doing stuff that mommy and daddy should have done, but they're making you do it at seven. You cooking dinner for the whole family. You cleaning the whole house. You seven. You're seven years old. 
How are you eight years old having the responsibility to watch over your two-year-old brother and your four-month-year-old sister? You have this responsibility and you ate. It's because something in childhood, a wardrobe was placed on you and wardrobes come with war zones. And now I want to break free from it. You know why a lot of us are bound to people-pleasing? Because a wardrobe was placed on you, and that wardrobe has caused a war zone. But I'm going to give you something. I'm going to throw this in here for free. I'm going to give you something to help Jerry be free from people-pleasing. All right? Y'all ready for this? I've discovered that there is only one Jerry Wayne Flowers Jr. walking this earth. There's only one me. Out of 7.8 billion and climbing people walking the face of this earth, there's only one me walking this planet. There is only one me that has these fingerprints. Out of everybody walking this earth, there is only one you. There is only one you walking the face of this earth, and there's only one you that has your fingerprints. Now, I'm going to tell you how we get exhausted. We get exhausted when we haven't recognized that everybody's going to have a different version of you in their head. Okay? So, per adventure, let's say we walk in a room with 20 people. All right? Jerry walks in a room, and there's 20 people in this room. There are 20 different me's in everybody's head. One person thinks I'm anointed. One person thinks I'm whack. One person thinks I'm a good teacher. Another person thinks I suck. One person thinks, you know what, he's giving me sound doctrine and God is using him to help me. Another person thinks he's possibly hurting the body. There are several different perspectives of me in everybody's head. But how we get exhausted is when I go to person one and I try to recreate the version of me in their head. And then I go over to person four and I try to recreate the version of me in their head. Oh, and then I go over to person 17 and try to recreate the version of me in their head. But then when I look at version one they have another wrong version of me so then I go back over here and I'm trying to recreate the version of me and their head and then oh I go over to eight and then I'm trying to reconvert recreate the version of me that they have in their head let me tell you how freedom happens freedom happens when you get to this place I don't care I don't care what version of me that you have of me in your head. The version of me that you have in your head is not my responsibility. It is exhausting to try to keep on recreating me in your head and then in your head and then in your head. There are 20 different versions. When you get to this place, as long as I'm the me that God has created for me to be, it doesn't matter if one doesn't like me, 10 doesn't like me, 12 doesn't like me, I like me, and God loves me. I love me, and it's that version. It's that you. This is how you get free. It's that you. I'm talking about that heal from divorce you. I'm talking about that over the abandonment issues you. I'm talking about that you that's healing from the trauma you. I'm not there yet, but I'm becoming that you. That you that God has called you to be. That you that the Holy Spirit is molding to help become. And you get to this place where you're like, God, make me your canvas. Make me your canvas. And Holy Spirit, be the paintbrush. I need you to artistically paint me. And whatever image you want the generation to see. Whatever image you want my family to see. Whatever image you want my son to be. I need you to create that image. And you're going to lead me to a people that I'm called to. I can't reach everybody. Here's the truth that freed me. I'm not for everyone. 
I need you, oh God, to allow me to be your construction site. Tear down things in my life that is not like you and build up things in my life that needs to be more like you. Rebuild me, rebuild me, rebuild me, rebuild me. It's not my responsibility to recreate the version of me in your head. If you receive that, somebody drop in the room. It's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility. And that's how you experience freedom. When you recognize whatever version of me that you have in your head, that's your business. But I know the version that I have of me in my head. And this is why it's so dangerous. If you don't have an accurate version of you in your head, you'll keep on adopting other people's images. This is why you keep following the trends. This is why you keep on following the trends because you don't have your own version of you. This is why your feelings get so hurt when somebody tells you their opinion. This is why your feelings cause you to not, where well, you're not going to produce what you were going to produce when somebody makes that comment, when somebody gives you a thumbs down, because you care more about the version that they have of you in your head than the version that God has of you in, in his head. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. And all that matters is what God knows me. This is what well-known is to me. People like Jerry, you're becoming well-known. I don't care. You know what well-known is to me? Being known by God. That's well-known to me. The best well-known is hearing well done. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Saul sees David is ready to fight. David's ready to fight. And so Saul puts his uniform on him. He puts him in dress code. Please listen. He puts him in dress code with the rest of the soldiers because this is how you're supposed to look when you fight. He puts him in dress code. Now, could you imagine if David struggled with security? He possibly would have thought, you know what? Everybody else is dressed like this. So since they have shields and they have armor and they have tunics and they, they have swords, maybe I should be in dress code too. I think David would have lost if he would have went out there in Saul's armor, because you will always lose fights wearing Saul's uniform. God, you will always lose fights trying to be like Saul. And so look at this, look at this. Verse 39, in our foundational text, verse 39, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them, so he took them off. Here's the quintessential question, the question I want you to consider. Have you just adjusted to what someone put on you? Have you just adjusted to their opinions? Have you just adjusted to what society labels you as? Have you just adjusted to Saul's uniform or do you have a David posture I'm taking this off <laughs> I'm taking this off he said I gotta take it off I want to show you guys something so my son he's more on his sonic tip right now but my son I would say roughly what would you say babe like two months ago two months ago spider-man was his favorite character I mean, still, still low-key kind of is. I mean, he would walk around the house just, pew, pew, just like he's Spider-Man. So daddy, 
decided to buy him some Spider-Man shoes. What y'all think about these? They cute? <laughs> Say they fly. Yeah, these, these are the shoes that I was like, you know what? I think this would be great for you. So I buy my son these Spider-Man shoes. And as soon as he sees them, he goes, Spider-Man! And he's so excited. And he wants to put the shoes on. But you know, what if in the middle of this message, I'm like, you know what? I like these shoes. So you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to wear them. I'm going to take these shoes off. And since I like them, since I like these shoes, I'm going to try to wear them. Somebody comment already that the shoes are cute. Well, I want to look cute, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to put his shoes on. They're, they're a little snug. They're, I don't know why they won't fit. Maybe if I... Somebody like, you're going to break your son's shoes. He likes Sonic now anyway. <laughs> I like these shoes. I'm try to put them on. And <sighs> Have you ever find yourself frustrated? <laughs> Have you ever found yourself frustrated because you're trying to fit in something that you've outgrown? Now, y'all said it was cute, though, so I, I'm, I'm going to try it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to put it on because... Because y'all said it was cute. Now, there was a time in my life, like back in 1990, I could wear these. <laughs> and uh, I'm still trying because y'all told me it's cute. <laughs> Just like you tried that relationship because y'all look cute together. Y'all going to have cute babies, right? You're going to have cute pictures. So you trying to fit in something that is obvious You've outgrown. Now, I probably look kind of stupid to you. A lot of us don't even recognize you look stupid in the spirit because you're trying to fit in stuff that you've outgrown. And so now I'm walking a little different because you walk different when you're trying to fit in something that you've outgrown. Your faith walk has adjusted and it's different because you're trying to wear something that you've outgrown. Your perspective is different now because you're trying to fit in something that you've outgrown. Your passion is different now because you're trying to fit in something you've outgrown. Okay, so I think that's too much for somebody's life. So I'm going to take these shoes off. So I'm probably like, Daddy, these shoes feel stretched. It's for illustration. I'll buy you some more. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to put these back. But then this shoe right here is fly. <laughs> These are my wife's shoes. Ladies, don't y'all say nothing disrespectful because these are my wife's shoes. Somebody say something heated, you're getting blocked. I'm just kidding. So th these, these are my wife's shoes. I like them. Y'all think they, they cool? I feel like somebody like, mm, they, they, they all right, they cute. So since I like these shoes too, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to try to put these on. Now, I was going to try two, but y'all are not about to have me fall on nobody's type of stage. Because <laughs> if sisters, if y'all fall... Wearing this, could y'all just imagine a brother? So anyway, I like these shoes. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna try to try to put these on, cause I like them. And now these fit a little different. They give me actually a little more room, but you know, I, I really can't wear these right. I don't know how ladies, how y'all walk like this? <laughs> how y'all? I don't even want to. How y'all walk like this? You know why I look so funny? Because I'm wearing something that doesn't match my identity. 
Now, there are a lot of brothers. Ooh, that's a whole nother sermon. There are a lot of brothers. There are a lot of guys that think this looks cute on them, but it doesn't match my identity. So, like, David, since this don't really match my identity and I don't like my foot being arched up, I'm going to take these shoes off, too. All right, so now I got these shoes. What y'all think about these? Yeah. Y'all are, yeah, this, this, this look like you. Yeah. These fly. These are called the cap gowns. These are Jordans, right? I really, really like these. Yeah. These. See, the crazy thing about these shoes is they look like me, but you know what? They're too small. But you wouldn't know that because you didn't make me. You don't know my shoe size. I do. So, story, I, I saw these, these kicks go to foot action. I really, really like them, right? I'm like, yeah, let me get those in a size 13. And y'all guessed it. And like, we only have a 12. Man. But don't judge me. Has anybody ever worn shoes that were too small? Y'all, y'all ever like some shoes that, I mean, like, they too fly, though. You know, they're fly. So I'm going to put these on. I mean, for this illustration, we're going to put both of these bad boys on. They fly. <laughs> a little snug. But they, they look fly. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to get these shoes because I like them. And they look nice. Yeah. Don't y'all judge me because I know there's somebody who wore some shoes before that they too small. So when you look at me, now looking on the outside, you can't tell they're too small. Right? You can't tell that they're too small. They look like they fit me well. But the more I would try to walk, <laughs> the more I would try to walk, the more I would try to live this thing out, the more I would try to walk it out. The more I would try, the more my feet would hurt. And nobody could tell that I was hurting on the inside. Nobody tell. They thought I'm just being cool and I'm doing stuff like this. Y'all ever did this? Because, you know, your feet are just like, your toes, all your big toes, like, boy, if you don't come out. They just like throwing gang, gang signs up on the low. And so I'm just sitting here doing this. And here's the thing, I'll walk around with them, and people are like, yo, those shoes fly, Jay, yo, yo, those are tight. Yeah, those are fly. So now I'm tolerating the pain because of people's approval. You watching this message? And I don't know who I'm talking to, but somebody, you hurting. But because your friends say y'all look cute together, because your friends say, girl, it ain't that bad, Bro, it ain't that bad. You're tolerating pain. Something on the inside of you is getting bent. Something on the inside of you is getting crushed. But you care so much about what people think. And this makes me look accepted. And this makes me look cool. I'm going to endure the pain. And there are a lot of people you think you're healed. And I'm here to tell you, you didn't heal. You just adjusted. You just adjusted, and I'm trying to convince somebody like David, I can't wear this. I I know they're nice, but I can't wear this. I know they look nice. I know they're fly, but I can't wear this. And I'm not about to lose battles because I'm trying to wear Saul's uniform. 
I'm not about to lose battles because I'm trying to be dressed in somebody else's acceptance. And comparison is having me hurt on the inside. Comparison is having me deal with heartache. Comparison is having me where I'm tossing and turning at night, wondering am I not being effective and why don't people like me and why didn't they accept me and why didn't they share my stuff and why didn't they approve me and why didn't they give me this promotion and why didn't they give me that? I'm here to let you know you're out of dress code on purpose. And there's some stuff like David you have to take off. Now look at this. Look at this. Um, 1 Samuel 17 verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near David to meet him that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead. This dude had to have some velocity behind this stone or the power of God behind it. And he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. Now, a lot of us would be content right there. You did, but look what David does. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out the sheath, and killed him. So I'm thinking he probably like stabbed him and then cut off his head. I'm thinking, like, man, David was like kind of graphic. A lot of us, there's some problems that have come back that were your Goliath, and you thought because the stone sunk in his head, it was dead, but it really was unconscious. This is why you're like, man, I thought I was over this. It always seems as though certain things kind of done, done, come back. Y'all ever experienced? This is why I hate, y'all ever watch a scary movie, and there's like this dude in the house, and they beating the dude, and he's passed out, and then he runs over to this girl. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you all right? I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Kill him. Empty, like unload the clip. Pop, 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 pop. I'm not taking my eyes off you. Beat him until it's dead. Why are you taking your eyes? Because as soon as you take your eyes off this giant, ton, ton, he comes right back up. David said, I'm going to chop off his head. Head is symbolic of authority. You have no more authority over my people. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but there's some things in your life that you allow to have authority. There's some comparison that you allow to have authority. There's insecurity that you have allowed to have authority. And I'm telling you by the power of God, chop the head off. Chop the head off. How do we become cure, cured from comparison? Point number one. A followed focus. A followed focus. Okay, um, Terrence and uh, Tracy, this is off script. I want to try this. A followed focus. Now, the reason you're able to focus on this message is because the cameraman and the people in the back who are working the system of streaming are making sure that I stay in the shot. Okay? Now, don't follow me. Let me walk out. Let me walk out. You're able to focus on the message when you see me. But now, you're probably distracted. You're probably wondering where he went. And this is how a lot of us look in life. 
We have nothing we're focused on, so we get easily distracted. We have counterfeits all around us. We engage in all types of distractions because, you know, distractions many times that we think are really opportunities, they're really distractions. It's because you have no focus. But when you have a focus, all right, come back to me. When you have a focus, when you have a target, when you have a goal, when you have a vision, when you understand what you're supposed to do, when you have a focus, you won't compare yourself to others. I'm so focused on what God called me to do. Did you hear? No, I ain't heard. Hey, bro, have you seen? I haven't. I had people tag me before. Hey, did you see this? No, I didn't. I was trying to catch my flight. <laughs> I really didn't have time. Like, I'm so focused on doing what God called me to do that I really don't have time to focus on the gossip or the mess. See, look, let's look what Jesus says. Okay, John chapter 21, verse 20. Then Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the man who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, um, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You know what Jesus was saying? Mind your business. Why are you worried about them? That's my business, not yours. It's almost like Jesus, I don't know if y'all remember this episode of Fresh Prince. It's almost like Jesus was like, just mind your business. That's all. Just, just mind your business. Back up. Back up. Just mind your business. All you got to do is mind your business. That's it. Don't worry about him. Mind your business. But here's the thing. You can't mind your business if you don't have no business. I'm about to throw this chair, but I don't want to get in trouble. You can't mind your business if you're in everybody else's business. A followed focus. What do you focus on? Because if you're not focused on anything, no wonder you keep comparing yourself with everybody else. Point number two, so good, surround yourself with creators versus watchers. See, a lot of us, I was talking to my wife about this um, a few days ago. I said, I'm thankful um, to God for the width that he's given this. And I really don't spend a lot of time watching TV. I really don't. I spend more time watching things that help me be more creative. You know what I've discovered? The people who are most critical, because I believe you have creators and you have watchers. The people who are the most critical, the people who always have something to say, are watchers. <laughs> They're on the bench. They have so much to say. They're always trying to critique somebody. They're always trying to give somebody advice. Here's my problem. Can we look at you and tell your advice works? I'm not judging, but I'm like, if you're so wise, all the advice you have, why don't we see any fruit in your life? I mean, you would just give me all this fruitful wisdom while your tree's so fruitless, bro. <laughs> they're watchers. And this is the thing I've noticed about creatives, especially if they're not insecure. But creators give the most encouragement. I'm surrounded by other people who are artists in painting, and I'm painting. And they say, oh, that looks good, man. What type of paint did you use? Oh, that's cool. Is that oil-based? Oh, that's awesome, man. That's great. Yeah, man, I was trying to do this painting too. Hey, you should try this. Creators seem to kind of be more encouraging. But it's those watchers. They really didn't take their time with this one. This, I've seen them do better paintings than this. I've seen them do better messages than this. They're watchers. Surround yourself with more creators than watchers. I'm not saying it's okay to have recreational watching. Get something you enjoy, a show, something on Netflix, but that should not be your daily consumption. 
There should be something that I'm watching, should be something I'm reading that is helping my creative ability with my gift, okay? Point number three, deactivate the inner critic. Did a whole message about it. Your inner critic is married to comparison. You keep on criticizing yourself and your perfectionist because you keep comparing your work to everybody else's. And you're constantly subscribed to your own criticism. Deactivate the inner critic. And we're going to end with this. Verse 4, value the pasture. Value. We live in a generation where everybody wants to arrive. Everybody wants quick, fast, hurry. They want to get there. But I'm trying to change your perspective. Value the pasture. Let me tell you why. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the ram from its mouth, the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. David was a bad dude. I'm never going to grab a lion. There's some dogs. I'm st- anyway, he grabs it by his beard, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. The value of the pasture. You know what the pasture season is? Practice. That season when David was probably like, oh, that was a little off. I'll try it again. Nobody knows your name. No platform. No following. Nobody subscribing to your channel. Nobody's coming to your business. Nobody's making an order, but you're learning how to perfect that slingshot. You're learning how to get better with your singing ability. You're learning how to become a better preacher. You're learning how to become a better teacher. You're learning how to become a better servant. This is the value of the pasture. You're learning how to improve your gift. And so many of us want to hurry up and get to the palace because you have oil for it. David got anointed to the palace. But there's some skill that he got in the pasture that prepared him for when he stood before Goliath. And I'm trying to get somebody to understand, if you overlook what God is teaching you in the pasture, you won't be ready to fight Goliath in the battlefield. So God, we honor you. Help us to understand comparison is a robber of our joy. And so many of us have been comparing ourselves. They're losing weight faster than me, and they just got married, and COVID doesn't seem like it's affecting them as bad as it's affecting me. Help us to have a followed focus. Help us to surround ourselves with more creators than watchers, oh God, so that we could deactivate the inner critic and help us not to overlook the pasture, the season of obscurity where nobody knows us. Because whatever you value, God, you covered. Gold is covered by dirt. Oysters covered. Pearls covered by oysters. You value things and you cover them. And help us to understand, maybe I'm not just covered, but I'm given an opportunity to practice. In your son's name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.